To be able to shine the spotlight on somebody who toils for 12 hours in the middle of the night to make something that so much of us hold so dear on hallowed ground in this city, to make it as beautiful as it can possibly be and to approach that job with such humility and respect and pride, for me to be able to tell his story is really an honor. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporter. Every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Brought to you by Hackensack Meridian Health. Visit our partner site, NBCNewYork.com slash HealthU, to help you on your health journey. Hackensack Meridian Health. Life years ahead. There's a well-known lesson taught in journalism school, more or less called the Gravedigger. It's about Jimmy Breslin, legendary tabloid New York columnist who's assigned to do a story on the assassination of JFK, and he doesn't want to do what the rest of the pack does, so he goes to find the Gravedigger, the person who has to dig the grave for John F. Kennedy, and he finds him and tells what's widely regarded as one of the best stories he's ever written about Clifton Pollard, who made $3 an hour. Saying all that to say that Jen Maxfield from News 4 has just about met that bar and exceeded it for us here. Wow, Hello, that's quite an introduction, <laughs> David. Hey, everybody, this is David Ushry, by the way, coming to you from our busy newsroom here for our debrief podcast. And I am joined by Jen Maxfield, who, by the way, we used to work together, as we say, across the street. Many we certainly ago. did. <laughs> and reunited here, and it's so great. And Jen, by the way, is a Columbia journalism professor. So we're just hitting a lot of points, but. Every year, Jen, we have the challenge of telling the 9-11 stories, trying to be just as compelling, just as poignant uh, as everyone involved deserves. But we really think you came at it this year in a, in a different way that I can recall. Um, tell us about it. Well, David, obviously, we do this story every year, and it's such an important story to the New York market. This happened in our community, and it's important to get the stories out there. But this year, with a team of people here, including our Simon Desk Manager, Howard Price, and photojournalist, Katie Berry, the three of us put together this story about the people who maintain the 9-11 Memorial. My name is Clarence Anthony Morris. I've been working here at the 9-11 Memorial for about seven years. Three million people visit this memorial every year. And in fact, there are actually signs at the memorial encouraging people to touch it to put their hands on it. And we've certainly all seen the photos of people who put flowers in the memorial. They may even put their loved one's favorite food, American flags. So this is a memorial that's designed to be interactive, but as a result of that, it gets a lot of wear and tear. Exactly, so we don't often think of what it takes to maintain it, not only for the September 11th anniversary, but really year round. And so you start, you and the team now, it sounds like here, start digging around and you find people. Exactly. So we interviewed two people for our set of stories. One is an artist. His name is Clarence Anthony Morris, and the other is a maintenance employee. His name's Pedro Almanzar. Both of them have worked at the 9-11 Memorial for at least seven years. It's also interesting to note that Clarence in particular works overnight. So much of this work is sort of unseen by the general public. We go to the memorial to grieve and to remember that day. And we take for granted, I think, many of us, the fact that it looks pristine 365 days of the year. And that's interesting because the stories that you told about them, I really feel that you got some human impressions from them. So think of him toiling in the silence of the night. What did they tell you about 
working there seven years and doing the work that they do. Well, Clarence Anthony Morris is an artist. Artist in many, many trades, mostly illustration, painting, and sculpture. And here he's really working in metal. It's interesting to think of him as an artist. He calls his work meditative. Yeah, it's very peaceful, very zen. He works overnight, and it's painstaking. This memorial is not cleaned by a machine. It's cleaned by hand with a small brush, and it's more fragile than you might imagine. The color of bronze that these 2,893 names are stamped into, the color is actually gold, but a special patina is put onto this memorial to make it a deeper brown, and it takes artists, not just Clarence, but a team of artists, 24-7, 365 days a year, to maintain that color of the memorial. And so much happens. I mean, inadvertently, it might get scratched because somebody puts their bag down, a zipper might brush it. It was actually shocking for me to learn that it's actually vandalized on almost a daily really? basis, wow. even if it's something like scratching a heart sure. into it or never forget. So they're also working to get that out of it. But you mentioned the human connection, and that is so important. Again, we have more, almost 3,000 names on this memorial, but these men have been working there for seven years. They start to get to know the names. They know who is where. They find their eyes drawn to certain people. Seeing names over and over and kind of getting used to who is where and wondering what their life was like and what their loved ones you know, loved about them. In fact, uh, Pedro in particular had something interesting to say. So every time when I touch the panel, I feel like it's, you know, especially. What is it that you feel? Uh, like emotional, very emotional. Sometimes I cry because I remember that, this, that day like yesterday. When I touch the panel, I feel something. They feel almost a spiritual connection to the people, almost as though they know them. And it's an honor, they say, to really maintain the memorial in a way also maintaining their memories. Or you said wonder what that person was like when they see it over time. They have occasion, you pointed out, to perhaps meet some loved ones who really are grateful. The loved ones are very grateful. Pedro talks about a moment when a victim's mother tapped him on the shoulders. She touched me on the, on the back and said, can I hug you? And said, thank you for what you're doing over here. So I, I, that's what I, I feel like, wow, it's very important what I'm doing. And Clarence also has people coming up to him and saying thank you for the work. I think uh, it means a lot when people actually see the work being done. And they, they can see how painstaking it is. And it's not easy mentally either. Both workers told us that there have been other employees who work around these names at the 9-11 memorial who've actually had to take leaves of absence. It just gets so heavy and it happened right there. And let's face it, these workers are New Yorkers too. They had their own experience on 9-11. And now here they are really immersed in it on a daily basis. It's a bit heavy at times because it's a lot of responsibility knowing how many people care and how many people are counting on this place looking good. True, and that includes, I add not to be self-serving, but even for those of us covering it, I think, takes us to a particular time and place as well. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about the telling of the story. We like to get the listener involved in the backstory. What was their reaction when they found out you wanted to actually tell their story? So the 9-11 Museum and Memorial were great about setting us up, and they said, well, you have to come really early because the workers work overnight. So we got there a little before sunrise. Good morning, brother. How are you? On Tuesday morning. So this is the day before 
the 18-year commemoration. You can imagine how busy they were. This is obviously heading into the busiest day of the year for the memorial. Clarence was actually on hour 12 of a shift at that point. So imagine that he had been started his work 7 p.m. and here we are talking to him at 7 a.m. and he'd been working through the night just maintaining that memorial and making it as beautiful as it could be for the families on Wednesday on September 11th. So in any case photojournalist Katie Berry and I show up and Katie's so talented. She didn't just use one of our broadcast cameras. We actually put a GoPro camera I see. on Clarence's head Point so that we get okay. exactly, we really get the sense of what it's like to do this work. And she also used a small camera called an Osmo, which allows us to get right up next to the memorial itself. And again, really take you inside, get the sound of what he's doing so that it feels so much more real to the viewer. I'm curious, your impressions, you've been reporting uh, in the city a long time. Um, what were your thoughts going through a story telling like this? I found it incredibly moving. Obviously, anytime I go to that memorial and anytime I've covered September 11th, it's very moving. Many years I've been with family members, so again, this was a bit of a different way to look at it, but I also found myself really focused on the names. We were at one part of the memorial that actually mentioned a woman named Renee May, and it said Renee May and her unborn child. And as a mother of three myself, I found that incredibly upsetting and moving and um, I don't think there was a dry eye at the end of the story. And yet the, the of course the obvious heaviness of the story notwithstanding as a reporter when you get to come at it from a different angle and reveal something else that perhaps is not widely known or discussed that's a bit fulfilling right that we get the chance to do that? Absolutely and I think of these people as unsung heroes people who we have the privilege of having an audience and being able to talk to a wide number of people and to be able to shine the spotlight on somebody who toils for 12 hours in the middle of the night to make something that so much of us hold so dear on hallowed ground in this city, to make it as beautiful as it can possibly be and to approach that job with such humility and respect and pride, for me to be able to tell his story is really an honor for me. And I felt you really captured uh, the humility of it all. Uh, Jimmy Breslin, the story I referenced, the gravedigger, the supervisor at Arlington apologizes for calling him in to work on Sunday, and he says, please don't apologize, it's an honor. And that's what Breslin named the story, it's an honor. And I got that same feeling from, from the, uh, the people you profiled. Everybody told us it's much more than a job. They are proud to do this work. There were a lot of people who applied for these jobs because of the sense of history and importance of what they're doing there. And these people, when they go to work every day, they have a purpose and they're proud to be there. All right, well, when you reached out to us about it, we jumped on it, and now the only thing I've asked you is that you share your story with your students, because I think, a la Breslin, and I don't say that, I mean, I'm not trying to <laughs> disrespect Breslin in any way, but Jen Maxfield, distinguished Columbia University professor, uh, share that with your students. Well, thank you, David. I will share it with my students, and I hope you come back as a guest again this semester. I'm going to come back to learn. I'm going to come back as a student. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jed. And thank you for listening. I'm David Usher, your host. We want to thank our production team, Jesse Edwards, Ben Berkowitz from the NBC New York digital team. We'll check you next time on The Debrief.